Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. God is the only one. Now, if he doesn't come on my behalf, if he doesn't stand up for me, I'm sinking. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth right from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. For today's Core Truth, we are finishing up in the book of John chapter 4 in a message titled, Believing. You know, it never ceases to amaze me what some people will believe in today. I guess it's safe to say that some are a little bit more gullible maybe than others. Like, think about this stat. One third of Americans believe in UFOs. Okay, that's unified, unidentified flying objects. Like, are you serious? Like Martians? I mean, that's like a hundred million people believe in that. In addition to that, one out of every five Americans believe in alien abduction. Like, are you serious? You've been watching too many movies. This must be the same people who have claimed to have seen the Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot even. I wonder if they're related to those who believe that NASA faked the moon landing. And what about all those wise tales that people believe in today, like thinking it's bad luck if you break a mirror. Oh no, I broke a mirror. My life is going to pots today. Or walking under a ladder. Oh no, I'm going to have a curse on my life. Or even letting a black cat cross in front of your path. See, then there are those who actually believe in certain scientifically proven facts, like some say that letting a dog lick a wound is good because a dog's saliva is supposedly like an antiseptic and will kill germs. Uh, I don't know about that because I see where my dog puts his mouth, okay? It's like, and, and, and besides all of that, you know, I can give him a fresh bowl of drinking water and he will not drink out of that bowl. But man, you open the bathroom door, he loves the toilet water, man. He just puts his head in there like, I'm in hot heaven, man. He loves it. Yeah, so I don't know. I think I'm just, for me... I'll stick with peroxide when I get a cut. Yes, we're all subject, though, to wise tales, urban legends, and all sorts of other hocus-pocus beliefs in the world today that have been passed down from generation to generation. But let me ask you here today, what do you believe when it comes to what is really important in life? In those times when we're backed up against the wall, when the bottom falls out from beneath our feet, when the storms of life are getting ready to cloud up and rain all over our parade. Well, as we continue in our study here through the book of John, we'll consider three points in light of our title, Believing. Number one, nowhere to turn. Have you ever been in a place like that? You're just backed up against a wall. There's no one else there to help you. And there's nowhere to turn. 
Number two, the sound of hope. Oh, boy, you've ever had the sound of hope in the ninth hour when everything looked grim and all of a sudden there was a way of opening for you? And number three, having to believe. Sometimes we simply have to believe, not because we see it, but just because it is what it is. Well, let's look at our first point here, nowhere to turn. Now, in our last study in John, as you remember, we saw how Jesus had pre-planned an appointment with an immoral Samaritan woman. The Bible records that Jesus had to pass through Samaria, which simply meant nothing was going to keep our Lord and Savior from reaching out to this woman who had been beat down and kicked to the curb by her own culture and society. This woman had brought it all on herself, for she had made what appeared to be a lifetime of bad choices. And those bad choices were followed by a host of bad consequences. I wonder if there's anyone here today that's done the same thing. And now you're realizing through the bad choices that you've made in times past, those bad choices are now being followed by bad consequences. You know, the Bible calls it reaping what you sow. Galatians 6, 7 puts it like this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. And whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to the flesh... He will from the flesh reap corruption, but one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap life eternal. Well, the woman at the well, as we remember from our last study, had five husbands. And who who knows how many live-in boyfriends she had. Yet she didn't find happiness in any of those relationships. You could say she was looking for love in all the wrong places. But what she did find was this. She found alienation. Wait a second. She was looking for love, but she found alienation because she was rejected and scorned by her own culture because of her lifestyle choices. Now look, today, people are living with people all the time. Dump this guy, get that guy, get this girl, this, that girl, whatever. Married, divorce, you know, live with this one, live with that one. This happens all the time. So maybe in our culture today, people would just say, yeah, whatever. Okay, it's like she's just another gal, another, you know, girl on the block, whatever the case may be. But it wasn't accepted in this culture because it's sin. And it's like even for the Samaritans, this was not accepted. So this caused this woman to become hopeless. And she was more and more withdrawn than than she had ever been in her life. That's why she was at the well in the heat of the day, drawing water at noontime when it was probably 100 plus degrees. Because none of the other women were there. They would come in the morning or the evening to draw water. But she didn't want to put up with the ongoing onslaught of insults to her. Yet Jesus, he went out of his way to meet her. He went out of his way to bring hope to her ravaged heart. That was the beginning of John chapter 4. Now, as we fast forward to the end of John chapter four, we see Jesus moving on to Cana of Galilee. Here we find a man who's only known as a royal official. We're not told his name, yet the Greek word used for royal official means nobleman or petty king. 
He was evidently an official in King Herod's court. He must have been a man of great influence and power. It would seem like a man of his position would have everything he could ever want in this life. And he probably did. Yet it wasn't enough for him. Why is that? Because something out of the normal was happening to him. His son became ill. Well, a lot of people's kids get sick at times. But no, this son was on the verge of death. You know, at first it probably was no big deal. Maybe it started off as a little cough, a cold. Maybe he wasn't feeling too well. Took a little bit longer nap. But as the days went on, so did the severity of this sickness until his fever completely and totally consumed him. Now, there comes a point in a parent's life when we can look into the eyes of our little children and we know it's time to go straight to the emergency room. There's no time to waste. And that's exactly the position that this father was in. Only one problem. This is 2,000 years ago, and there's no 911 to call. There is no emergency room or, you know, some other facility to go to, an urgent care. Yes, this father's at the end of his rope, and there's nowhere for this family to turn to. I'm sure by this point, with his power and his position, he's already exhausted all the physicians of the day, the doctors that were there. His options probably already tried all the homemade remedies and homemade concoctions. Yet everything has failed as his son's fever continues to rise. He's burning up. So this wealthy nobleman who was now backed into this very dark corner that he didn't want and he never asked for, he ran to the only emergency room that he could find available on planet earth. And where was that? That was to Jesus himself. Let's read about what happens here in John chapter 4. We'll pick up in verse 46. It says, Therefore he, Jesus, came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. That was his first miracle, if you remember. And there was a certain royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and he was requesting him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Verse 48, Jesus therefore said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders talking to the Jewish people, you simply will not believe. And the royal official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he started off. And as if he was now going down, his slaves met him saying that his son was now living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. And they said, therefore, to him, it was yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that very hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This is again a second sign that Jesus performed when he came out of Judea into Galilee. Well, we'll stop there for a moment. Notice this nobleman needed an emergency room. 
for his son and he needed it right now. And Jesus was that emergency room because there was nowhere else for him to turn. But why would this man think that Jesus was the only option that he had? Maybe he was present at that wedding where Jesus carried out his very first miracle by turning the water into wine. Or maybe he just heard about it from someone who was there that witnessed this amazing feat. Well, whatever the case, he knew and he understood and he believed in his heart that Jesus was the miracle worker. Let me ask you here today, who do you turn to in life when things turn sour? You know, who is your emergency room? For some, it's a, you know, your own family that you turn to. While for others, it could be a close friend that you have. For those of you who have that option, that could be a great comfort. And a lot of comfort can be found in that. But even when you have that, what do you do when the problem is bigger than what your safety net can catch? What do you do when the problem isn't just a financial one that you have some daddy money bags that's ready to write you a check? What do you do when you're backed up against the wall that nobody can help you? There is nothing that can be done. You're on your own. Or what if the problem is inside of us? Something that's eating away on the inside of us. It could be physical. It could be a sickness. It could be cancer. But maybe it's sin. Maybe there's a vice that has gone completely out of control in your life. Maybe it started as a recreational sin, meaning you seem to be in the driver's seat. You were in total control of this area that was wrong. But somewhere along the line, that sin has become all-consuming. And now it's become your taskmaster as you have now become its slave. Yes, there are times of major hardships in this life. There's times of major tragedy when all the family and all of your friends are just simply not enough. Then there are those times when nothing less than divine intervention will help. God is the only one. If God doesn't come to my work now, if he doesn't come on my behalf, if he doesn't stand up for me, I'm sinking. The ship is going down. There is no one else that can help. That's why this man had nowhere else to turn. Which brings up our second point, the sound of hope. Oh, when you're in that place, when you hit the wall, you slide down, you fall on your back and then the wall falls on you and there's no one there to reach a hand out to help pick you up, no one to help pull the wall off of you, when you're in the rut, when you're in the quicksand and there's no one there to give you a hand, oh, when you get the sound of hope, you grab onto that. Well, notice in verse 47, he heard this man, the rich authoritative, you know, ruler here. He heard that Jesus was back in town. Oh, how that must have been like music to his ears. There's something about that sound of hope that reaches down into the depths of our soul and it springs up life inside of us. And there is no better place to find hope than in the pages of the Bible. That's God's holy word. 
It's inspired. It's literally God breathed upon us by himself. Listen to how David found hope in Psalm 63. Let me read it to you. Psalm 63, one says, Oh God, you are my God. I seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. And when does he do that? When does he seek? When does he thirst? When does he yearn after the Lord? Well, it's when the whole sky falls apart. It's when everything turns sour. He says, in a dry and a weary land is where there is no water. Thus, I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I shall live. I will lift up my hands in your name. Listen, we don't have just a little time of just, let's sing a little songs here together. These songs are designed to worship our king. These songs are designed that when we come to church, that we can have this time of saying, man, I want to get my mind off of everything that's happened this week, everything that's consumed me in life, and I want to take some time to just worship the Lord, to lift up my hands, to praise his holy name, because he is worthy to be praised. That's right. It is good when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. It's a great thing when that happens. But notice where King David was when the bottom had dropped out for him. Where was he when he wrote Psalm 63? Well, he wasn't in Jerusalem in his palace because he left. He was running for his life. He was on the run from his own son, his own son Absalom, who was attempting a hostile takeover of his kingdom. He was causing a mutiny to happen from within so much so that David ran for his life out of his own kingdom so David was in a dry and a weary place he's older now in life and now he's on the run but that's what caused him to earnestly seek the Lord you know that word earnestly in the original Hebrew language means to seek God with a serious intent. It's not some flippant like, "Well, Lord, you know, if you have any chance to you know come around and you know if you want to drop the lottery on me, it's cool, you know, it's all, it's all good, you know." No, it's not that kind of a prayer. It's a prayer that's just seeking the Lord. He used a considerable amount of mental capabilities with his prayers. It's not just some complacent. You know, prayer, oh, like whatever. David was pursuing God with everything that he had. His soul was thirsting. His flesh was yearning. For he was on the run and his soul was empty. He longed to once again be filled by the Lord himself. Let me ask you, do you long for the Lord like that? Do you yearn for him? Do you thirst after him? Because it's only when we get to the end of ourselves that we can earnestly seek the Lord as David did. That's when we will see God's power. That's when we will see the glory of God unfold within our circumstances. And that's exactly where this royal official in John chapter 4 was. He was earnestly yearning, thirsting, seeking help. And when he heard that Jesus was back in town, something inside of him sprang to life. There was hope inside of him because God's loving kindness, as David said, is better than life. Maybe you here today need a holy 911 call to heaven. Well, God is waiting for your call today. 
For God has given to us, each and every one of us, his holy 911 emergency number. Where is it found? In the book of Psalms. Where is it? In Psalm 91 1. 911. <laughs> Not too hard to remember that. Here's the holy 911. Psalm 911 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Yes, God understands our pain. Psalm 91.1 says, we can dwell in his shelter. That's in his personal shadow. That is an intimate place of divine protection. Think about where that is. How close you are to be in the shadow of someone. You're going to be really close to them. And why does that protect us? Because he is the most high God. Nothing can threaten him because nothing can overpower him. He is the God of heaven and earth, the creator of all things seen and unseen. When we are in his shadow, when we are in his presence, nothing can penetrate him. His shadow is really just a metaphor of his great care and protection that he has for us. Yes, he's the only one who can help us in our time of need. And that's exactly what this nobleman understood. His son was burning up with a fever. Nothing else was working. He was at the end of his rope. So he came and he threw himself before the Lord, requesting that Jesus would literally come and heal his son. Understand. Everything that Jesus did, all of his miracles, how he spoke, it was so different than the religious leaders of the day. Because Jesus spoke with power. He spoke of one with authority. And the people recognized that he was speaking to the very core of their beings. The people back then were just like us today. For people are people. You know, wherever you go, no matter what culture you live in, if something exciting happens, people talk about it, right? It's just like when the Rams were playing the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, this last season. They scored 105 points between the two of them. The Rams were 54. The Chiefs lost at 51 points. My son was watching the game with me. He says, Dad, that's like the best game I've ever seen. I said, son, that was the best game anybody has ever seen, okay? There's never been a game like that. Unfortunately, the Rams didn't play like that in the Super Bowl, but that's a whole other story. We'll get on that on another day. But anyway, people talk about stuff like that. Or when Kobe Bryant scored 81 points in one game. It's like people talk about stuff. And people talked about Jesus because he was so much bigger than any football game. So much bigger than any basketball game. Yes, people will talk about things that are exciting. Because nothing comes close to what Jesus did. Again, why? Because he was the God man. He was the walking miracle machine. Yes, it made total sense for this nobleman to seek out Jesus. For this wasn't a time for dead religion. Because when the bottom drops out, we must go straight to the power source. Which brings up our point, having to believe. Notice what Jesus said to him again in John 4.48. He says, unless you people... He's talking about the Jewish people. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply won't believe. You know, like unless you see something, unless I take a two by four and beat you over the head and say, look at this, you're just not going to believe it. 
You're going to walk away from this. You're going to miss it. Now, knowing how desperate this man was, didn't that kind of seem a little odd, almost insensitive? I mean, borderline rude for Jesus to say. But understand this. Jesus is neither odd, he's not insensitive, and he's never rude. But he's loving, and he's kind, and he's compassionate. Now, obviously, we were not there. We didn't hear the tone of his voice. We don't know what was in this man's heart on the inside. But let's look at what we do know. We know that Jesus just spent two days with the Samaritans. Again, the Samaritans were Jews who had intermarried with other nationalities. They were hated because they were considered not true Jews. The Samaritans were thought of as nothing more than half-breed sellouts. Yet the Bible says that there was a revival that was happening with Jesus in Samaria. Because he wasn't prejudiced. He was going to those people. He was reaching out to them. Even as Abraham was told to reach out to all the nations of the world. But they believed in Jesus. They just believed in him. That's all the time we have for our message. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app. Available on iOS and Android. Core Church is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA one word, that's Core Church LA, to 77977. And remember, there's a God in heaven who loves you. 